Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Drive Through FM. And as you could probably tell by the title, I'm going to talk a lot about miniature gaming. Uh, the title is Golden Age of Miniature Gaming. I'll talk a little bit about my thoughts on that later on when we get to the topic. But effectively, it's going to be kind of like a top 10 miniature games. Uh, but it's going to be a little bit different because you know me, I'm stubborn and don't like top 10s. Uh, so we'll cover more in detail like how I structured it when we get there. But before we get into the main topic, I got a couple of things I just want to talk about, some games and stuff like that. Uh, just closed the Kickstarter last week, and that was uh, wildly successful. I just kind of want to publicly thank folks uh, on the podcast here, on the YouTube channel, uh, everybody that supported me. Uh, we started off with a kind of a modest funding goal of $3,000 to get some new equipment. I've got some of the new equipment in. I've put up a couple of videos uh, with new cameras, and so uh, some of the later videos have been in 4K, and so I hope to kind of uh, expand on that. I got two new cameras, got a bunch of little like widgets and extra batteries and chargers and cables and all kinds of stuff like that, memory cards. So you're definitely gonna see some higher quality stuff, hopefully uh, crop up here over the next few weeks and for the rest of the year in perpetuity. Uh, the other couple of things is I've started working on my top 50 games of all time, which was the first stretch goal. I've got actually the list all kind of ordered out and everything, and then I'm going to start to work on the videos for that uh, pretty shortly here. So uh, I put kind of a deadline on myself to have it done by Origins, and so I should have it done uh, by then. And I kind of expect just with kind of looking at my schedule and whatnot, it'll probably end up being uh, June or late May by the time it does come out. So about a month or so from now. And then the final stretch goal, uh, which I had to kind of come up with on the fly, but a lot of folks were excited about it, and those folks uh, involved with the Kickstarter are going to be able to participate in, is a little bit later on in the year, I'm going to do a uh, sort of a poll of, with all the backers of the Kickstarter, no matter what level they backed at. And I'm going to come up with like a handful of games uh, that are probably going to be new releases, but not necessarily. And they're going to have miniatures in them, and it's going to be a painting series uh, on that specific game and it's going to be something that is uh, very much kind of targeted at the beginner so we're going to prime them and uh, if there's any assembly involved in the game we'll do a little bit of that and then we're going to use kind of a subset of paints and shades and stuff like that so folks that you know don't have anything if they were like hey you know i want to be involved with this let's say game x comes out at gen con and that's the one that we decide because I'm going to have a vote again on a you know small nomination uh, field of nominees, and you know say hey I want to get into that try painting that game looks good, and then be able to kind of walk folks through step by step and you know make it somewhat affordable and not spend you know hundred dollars or more to keep it more in the fifty to seventy dollar range, you know to get all the paints and the primer cans and the brushes and everything, and get folks going so. I'll look forward to that. Even if you didn't back the Kickstarter, you know, throw some ideas out there uh, and then just, you know, throw stuff across my radar so I can look at it. And uh, and then I'll kind of whittle it down, all the suggestions and research and stuff. And then folks that back the Kickstarter will get a chance to vote on the final one. Because I do want to pick, you know, pick a game that, uh, you know, I'll be excited to play as well. So I'll pick a couple that I will, you know, be excited about and then let folks pick the final one. But that pretty much covers everything about the Kickstarter. Uh, I've only got really one review to cover on the podcast today, but I just want to quickly go over the stuff I've talked about on the channel. Uh, most recently on the channel, I have a video covering the Tinker Turf terrain, and there's actually a giveaway associated with that video. I'll put a link to the video in the description here. 
Uh, but if you head over there, you can, uh, if you leave a comment on that video, you can be entered into a contest or a giveaway, I should say, uh, that will end uh, probably a week or two after this podcast drops. And then one lucky winner will win like a complete set of all of the different uh, Tinker Turf terrain that they have. It's excellent stuff. It's all cardboard. Uh, you just punch it out, a little bit of gluing, put it together. It's all kind of pre-colored or pre-painted. So there's no like, you know, you don't have to paint all this terrain. It just, you put it together, done, and bam, it looks great on the table. And it's great for like a Kill Team or Necromunda or their kind of sci-fi uh, skirmish game. So definitely go take a look at that video. I uh, also uh, did a review of Gugong, which I really enjoyed. It's a new game from Taste and Minstrel, uh, from the designer of Hansa Teutonica, which I really enjoyed several years ago now. And that game's got some really cool, kind of Eurified, interesting card play to kind of do. It's almost like a worker placement thing, but you're doing it with these cards, and there's some different rules around the cards in terms of like the value of the cards and the special abilities built into them, and what you can activate, or you maybe you can activate little bonuses and stuff like that. Uh, really interesting and different uh, kind of game. Definitely recommend uh, folks at least give that game a try. And then another Tasty Minstrel game uh, called Crusaders from the designer Seth Jaffe, who did Eminent Domain. And uh, that is a very interesting game. It's kind of a his take on Trajan from Stefan Feld. So it's it's got a little Moncala type of mechanic, but it works completely different than Trajan. It's really a very different game. Very, very different. And uh, even the way the Moncala works is sort of like a reverse, in a way, of Trajan. And, uh, and then you're kind of like moving your knights across Europe and sort of colonizing in a way or sort of establishing strongholds and buildings and things and giving yourself bonuses as you kind of unlock and build these buildings. You unlock these bonuses to make your Moncala actions that much you know, better and more powered up. Uh, and the really cool game, very snappy, easy to play game. It's gonna not gonna take you more than like an hour probably, even with four players, uh, once everybody knows how to play. Uh, so that's Crusaders, also from Tasty Minstrel Games. Definitely recommend that one too. And then two more games uh, that I reviewed. One is Warlords of I don't know how to pronounce this word. It's Warlords of Erhuan, which is Erhuan is the word nowhere spelled backwards, and which is weird, but. <laughs> It's a really cool uh, miniature combat game. It's almost like a mass combat game, but not quite that large of a scale. It's kind of like an Age of Sigmar scale, but probably a little bit less models on the table than that. But it uses kind of like the bolt action system, which is an, a little bit older World War II miniature game where you pull these different colored dice out of a bag and then you activate units based on what you pull out of the bag. So if you've played like any board game war games uh there's like a chit pull mechanic that i've really liked uh but you know one game that i really still like playing is nuclear 68 which is a strange world war ii game uh but where you pick that out so you don't really know the order of stuff and how it's going to activate you may get like two turns in a row with two of your units and then the other side will go and maybe they get three in a row or maybe it's back and forth a whole bunch or you do your a bunch of your stuff at the beginning which maybe you don't want to do because then the other player's going and moving all their stuff at the end and so they get to react to all the stuff that you've done. So it makes the tactics really interesting. So this is a fantasy miniatures game with that sort of uh, you know mechanic behind it. It's really cool, very, very interesting uh, game. And I would definitely, if you're into miniature games at all, uh, especially like if you're an Age of Sigmar fan, you could repurpose those miniatures very easily and drop in and have like, a, I built like a barbarian army out of my ogres, and then I built an undead army out of a bunch of undead stuff that I had. And uh, it was really cool. The, the gameplay is really, really interesting, and there's just a lot of cool kind of 
chewy tidbits of tactics to play with on that. So that's the Warlords of Erequan. <laughs> and then the last game I talked about most recently was uh, Villainous, and this video is actually in 4K. Uh, and I talked about the Villainous base game, which came out last year, and then as well as the uh, expansion, which is just coming out now, Wicked to the Core. And I have uh, really enjoyed uh, Villainous. I kind of missed the boat on it last year, just kind of, you know, didn't really pay attention to it. And I actually had a chance to play this with the family as well. And that they they really kind of took to it. And so it's a very interesting game. I think it's, you know, it's been talked about a lot of places. Definitely go watch the review and stuff. It's asymmetric Disney villains. And so everybody has like this uh, two different decks of cards that are unique to them. And they've only got those cards. And it's kind of based on, you know, their stuff in the movie. So if you have the evil queen from uh, Snow White or uh, Maleficent from uh, Sleeping Beauty, or uh, let's see, uh, Prince John from Robin Hood and all this kind of stuff. And it's all like the art and the cartoon stuff from Disney. And then each of you has like your own goal too. So not only is it asymmetrical decks of cards, but how you actually win the game is pretty much totally different from deck to deck. Uh, but there is actually still some interaction uh, you know, with the players and sort of like sending their heroes after them. So if you're playing like against Prince John, you can trigger their hero deck or their fate deck and it'll send like Robin Hood and stuff after them. And it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of kind of, uh, you know, room to explore here. It's not a super heavy game. It's you know, like I said, I played with the family and they really liked it. And it's, you know, there's enough going on that I, I think gamers and family type folks will get into it as well. I did have a couple of caveats, which I talk about in the review, but for me, they weren't anywhere close to deal breakers, but maybe they would be for you. Uh, so definitely check out the video on that. So that was Villainous with Wicked to the Core. Yeah, so that's kind of like the housekeeping <laughs> of the episode. And I do want to have one kind of brief review here on a game that's a little bit older. It's actually a book. Uh, it's called Dragon Rampant, and this is from Osprey Games. And this is another set of fantasy wargaming rules uh, similar to Warlords of Irwan, where you don't really need you know specific miniatures from a certain company. You can just take these rules and apply them to whatever kind of fantasy-esque miniatures you have. And I had a chance to uh, play with this a little bit. It's not something I felt like I wanted to do a video review of just because I think Warlords of Irwan is a much better game. But I do really like a lot of the stuff in this, and it's a pretty cheap book to pick up. I think it's like 15 bucks or so. It's from Osprey. You know, they have a, just a boatload of different books and stuff. And there's a couple interesting things I just wanted to point folks towards is, and this is kind of the one, it's kind of a double-edged sword here, this part. So it's very, very generic. And that's really cool because when you build like a unit, so you can have a, like a zombie unit, let's say with like a bunch of models, and you can say these are each like half a hit point. So you may have, have a giant unit of 40 models. Or you can take the same kind of stats and apply it to one unit, and it's a monstrous unit. And it'll have the same exact hit points and the same exact like stats and things. And you can kind of add and remove stats for different points. But it's just one model. So you, instead of like removing models or let's say you remove two models at once, every time you take damage, you just, you know, you put a little token or something and track the number of hit points that way. So it really lets you use whatever you want you know, however you want. So you can have like a giant army of just like three monsters that are super powerful and there's tons of hit points. Or you could go for a more horde type of thing and, you know, be able to cover more of the battlefield and have lots of models and stuff, but they're just like paper thin and they fall away. Uh, and there's a little bit of flexibility in there. So that's really, really neat. And now, so that, like I said, that's kind of a double-edged sword 
is that it also makes everything feel very like generic. There's not to me like enough specificity to the different things that you can do. There's nothing really that says like, oh, if I did this, that would be like, oh, that's a very undead quality that this particular, you know, have, or this is, you know, like this would be like an ogre thing or, or an orc thing or a human or elf trait, you know, that kind of stuff. You don't really get into too much granularity there. There is some of that you can kind of add, but you can just add it to whatever. So it's very, very generic. So when you're playing it, I mean, after you start playing, it's like, oh, well, you're just doing the same thing I'm doing with that unit. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it's okay. But it's it's an interesting system that I think if they ever got around to printing another book, and this came out like three or four years ago now, and I don't, so I don't know that they will. Um, but if they ever did to kind of like flesh it out a little bit more, just give you some more tools to kind of play with, then I think it would be really cool. And this is actually a sequel. Uh, this is Dragon Rampant, but it's sort of a sequel to a game called Lion Rampant, which is set in just kind of a purely uh, medieval uh, time period. So they... They added like a little bit of rules in Lion Rampant to like throw some fantasy into the medieval battles. And so then it kind of grew into uh, Dragon Rampant. And Lion Rampant has some interesting stuff because you can have like these heroes do duels and stuff uh, in separate. And so that's, you could, there's not, nothing saying that you couldn't use those rules and even some of the scenarios in the Lion Rampant book in this, uh, in the Dragon Rampant book and kind of mix and match and stuff. But that requires a little bit of house ruling and stuff. Uh, the other interesting thing about Dragon Rampant I wanted to mention was how you kind of activate uh, the different units. So to do an action, you've got to like roll dice against a particular stat, and then you've got to kind of like beat that stat. And if you don't, then you lose your turn, and then it goes to the other player, and they can activate units until they fail. So it's kind of like Blood Bowl almost, where you're activating different units until you fail, and then it goes switches, and your turn's over and it switches. Uh, but it's kind of, you can kind of get it to where, I don't know, it, I kind of like that and I kind of don't. Like the one thing I liked about Warlords of Irwan was kind of the staggered activation where you pull dice out of a bag and then, you know, you could, you, you don't really know the order of stuff. Whereas this, maybe you have like a target number of eight and you roll the two dice and then you're like, okay, I'm going to move the target number's eight. So then, okay, I got it. Now I can move it the number of inches or, you know, I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to do an attack. So I'm going to give it an attack order and stuff. And it's the kind of like, you know, account for morale and things but there is certainly the ability to kind of just roll terrible and like go a couple of times where you're like okay you got three units and then failed okay i'm gonna activate a unit oh, i fail and it's like okay well you do the low risk stuff first like in blood bowl you like moving doesn't usually cost a whole lot or you don't really need to act a whole lot but it's still like that kind of like you can have a lot of feel bad moments with that i don't hate that but it's also like it just kind of like the final nail in the coffin. I'm going to keep the book uh, laying around because I do like kind of playing around with it and building the armies and stuff and and hope that they would do some kind of expansion for it or kind of expound on it. Because the uh, the one scenario I played of it was really cool and I kind of looked at some of the other scenarios. I, like, I like kind of what, where they were going with it. So to me, it's worth picking up if you want to fool around with it. And it's like a $15 book. I'm sure you can get it on sale. And you can just play around with, you know, if you get bored of playing Age of Sigmar or something, you can just, uh, you know, pick up the book and throw a couple of armies together with what you've got and then just play a couple of games. And it's not like it's fun, you know, but it has those kind of weird uh, hangups that I have with it with the, you know, everything feels very generic, but that's really cool because you can just build crazy stuff and say like, you know, I'll build this crazy army and does a certain thing. And then the whole activation thing is like, well, if I was really playing this very seriously, that would annoy the crap out of me. 
But, you know, as this kind of a pickup throwaway game, the rules are pretty straightforward and very simple. You know, it's just move stuff around, shoot stuff, fight stuff, um, and that kind of thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would definitely, you know, take a look at it. It's just a fun little thing to throw in the toolkit and have around and just something. That, it's just fun to play with, right? Like, it's not, I don't think necessarily it's a good or a bad game. I'm like, it's okay. It's kind of fun. But I think it's it's fun to sort of play with. So that's kind of enough for me. Like, I would recommend it because it's fun to, to dink around and horse around with a little bit. But I don't know that, like, I'd be like, this is the greatest game ever, you know, or anywhere close to that. So anyway, that's Dragon Rampant from Osprey Games. Uh, definitely take a look at that. And if you want to take a look at, like, Lion Rampant 2, uh, that's straight medieval combat without any kind of, you know, magical sort of abilities and things like that. Okay, so let's take a quick uh, little break here. And since we are talking about miniature games a little bit, I figured that was a good review to throw in there. And uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about the golden age of miniature gaming. Okay, we're back. We're going to talk about the golden age of miniature gaming. And this is effectively going to be, or end up being, a sort of a top 10 list of miniature games. Uh, but I'm not going to do them in order, first of all, because I am working on my top 50 games of all time. And I don't want to give away the order that these would appear on that list, <laughs> because that's no fun. But I also thought, uh, before I thought even doing a top 50, I've actually been working on this list for a couple of months. And... I wanted to sort of approach this in a little bit different of a way because, okay, so what, what do I mean by a miniature game? So a game could have miniatures in it, but it's not really a miniatures game. So if I think of like Rising Sun or Blood Rage, to me, those are not quite miniature games. They're almost like control markers, the miniatures. They're just like little control markers. They have different abilities. They do have a little bit of a personality to them, especially like the different gods in uh, Blood Rage and Rising Sun. But you aren't really inhabiting the body of the miniature as much in those games. There's a little bit of that in those games, but sometimes miniatures are act as an abstraction. Well, they well frankly, they always act as an abstraction because even if you're playing like a large game, like 40K or Age of Sigmar or World War II game or something, and you have a unit of, let's say, five liberators, you know, these big guys with shields and hammers. Well, I think effectively, you're not representing five people. Now, you might be, but I think also sometimes there's they leave a little bit of wiggle room there because it's like, okay, that five people, that could be like 50 liberators. Or, you know, you know what I mean? Or versus like a skirmish game where it's like, that's the one person and the one person is the body, that is the actual person. And if they die, they die and they go away. Um, whereas when you start to get bigger and bigger and bigger, it starts to abstract a little bit. Now, I don't wouldn't say like 40K and Age of Sigmar get that abstract because I think, okay, there's a squad of five space marines. Those are five people, you know, so that kind of thing. So I think it's pretty close. So I think I'm trying, what I'm trying to say is like, when I think of a miniatures game, it I want to lean on the spectrum of the miniature, the physical bodily presence in the space that they take up is one of the most important parts of the game. It's not just an abstract token. So some of the games, there's wiggle room like Blood Rage and stuff like that. So I'm leaning more towards the side of it's a miniature 
and it's taking up space and it's a, it theoretically has a personality and an identity and all that kind of stuff. And the other thing is movement is a big part of that where you move your model, it could be a tank or a spaceship or a figure and they take up space and they move around. There's not like a teleportation aspect where like in a, you know, more an abstract board game and there will be some board games on this list, but in a more abstract board game, you're like moving and they're like flying around teleporting everywhere. So there's not really necessarily much in the way of movement or the movement isn't really explained, you know, that kind of thing. So that a lot of these games are not gonna have any kind of teleportation in them as all. And the other thing I will mention is that I'm not gonna cover any games that only have uh, metal miniatures. And I know, so people are like, like, okay, well, why is Infinity, which I've not played, or Guild Ball, which I have played and I really enjoy, on your list? And Guild Ball, frankly, would be would be knocking on the door of being in this list because I think it's a very excellent game, Guild Ball. Uh, but I was, you know, brought to tears. <laughs> Not really, but but trying to assemble and, you know, paint the metal miniatures. So I really loathe, you know, there's various different kinds of material miniatures can have. They could be multi-part plastic kits, like, you know, uh, Games Workshop stuff where you can sort of fiddle and add different guns and weapons and faces and all that stuff on it. They could be a single mold uh, plastic, you know, thing like you see in the Cool Mini or Not games or Simon Inc. games or whatever, or Coman, whatever the name of their company is. <laughs> Come on, come up with a name. Uh, yeah, so you can have those kind of plastics, and that's the stuff that I really like, obviously. Uh, I don't mind assembling stuff, so I, that's my favorite, is the, you know, the Games Workshop style kits that are plastic. Uh, but I also don't mind resin kits at all. You've usually got to add some green stuff in there. Sometimes they get it to hold up, but, you know, when you do, it, you do. And most of the time on a resin kit, the uh, quality and the detail is just going to be probably the best that there is. Although, you know, many of the plastic kits now are basically the same quality as resin, if not, you know, very close. And then you come to metal and it's like, eh, yeah, I don't, so there's not gonna be any metal on here. And that was, you know, acts in two ways because I hate metal. And then the other side of it is that allows me to cut out <laughs> killed ball from the list. And that just makes, you know, whittling it down to a top 10 much easier. And then finally, before we jump into the list, I just do want to do one honorable mention uh, because this one actually does show up on my top 50. I won't tell you where, but I'll just give you kind of a teaser, I guess. Uh, that is the second edition of Battle Lore from Fantasy Flight Games, which I don't mind including on my top 50 because that's like my personal top 50. But for this list, Battle Lore is no longer in print. And it's been, I think, discontinued. Um, I'm not sure. They, Fantasy Flight kind of shifted gears from Battle Lore to Rune Wars, which looks like that might be discontinued. Uh, but the second edition battle or sometimes you can find it pretty cheap but you got to hunt it down a little bit i think and i don't know that you could get some of the expansions and stuff uh for it which i don't think are required but i think they do make the game uh better uh so i just wanted to kind of honorably be mentioned battle or second edition and the first edition is really good too the first edition you're gonna have a hard time uh finding uh first edition is almost like warhammer fantasy you know the big large scale game that doesn't exist anymore like as a board game Whereas the second edition is a little bit smaller scale, but there's a lot more kind of magic and stuff kind of flying around. Um, and I prefer the second edition. But I did want to give a shout out uh, to the second edition of Battlelore. And uh, that would kind of, that's my favorite Command and Colors uh, system. You know, there's Memoir 44, and there's, you know, some other games along that line. Uh, Samurai Battles is coming out. Uh, that's going to be a block war game, which is a funny kind of thing because is that if it's a block war game, 
and it's the same system, is it still a miniatures game? I mean, there are stickers that are on a block, and you can see the depiction of that. So is that actually a miniature? Well, no, it's, it's not a miniature. It's a block. But I can do the same thing in Battlelore, and in Battlelore, that kind of meets the criteria of, you know, are these bodies important? Is the physical space and the movement important? It's a little bit abstract, obviously, because you got some card play, and you're moving hexes. You're not necessarily moving, like, inches, or, or, or you can't get very granular with your movement. You're either here or you're here. You're not, like, anywhere in between. There's no granularity there with the movement. Uh, so that's interesting to chew on. I don't know that really matters <laughs> to have an argument either way on that one. Uh, but Battle or uh, Second Edition is definitely my favorite uh, of that Command and Color, you know, sort of series or, or or swath of games. Although GMT is coming out with the, like I said, the block version of Samurai Battles, which came out uh, several years ago from a Russian company, Zavita, uh, which was miniatures that you had to put together. And I really enjoyed it. before playing Battle or Second Edition. That actually had become my favorite Command and Color system. And there's you can kind of see some of the. Uh, lineage between those two with sort of the morale and the magic system and all that kind of stuff. So uh, definitely take a look for those games. But now let's kind of jump into the top 10. And I'm not going to give you the order at all. At all. I'm not even going to mention the order at all. I kind of randomized the list. And then from the randomness, I kind of grouped them together. So there's some kind of common threads between these. If you want to know what my order is, you'd go and watch my top 50 in a month or two and just figure it out what, which was the highest you know miniature game on that list would be my favorite miniature game. And so let's just jump into the first one. Let's let's call it number 10, I guess. Or number one. Let's call it number one. Because <laughs> I'm not ordering these. So the number one, which is not my number one favorite miniature game. I made sure of that. Uh, I won't tell you if this is in my top 50 or not. But enough of this. So the first one, the number one, is uh, Warhammer 40,000 Kill Team. And this is my favorite way to play uh, in that universe uh, by far. I think I've... Well, I've got, let's see, six or seven painted up kill teams, and I've probably got another couple, well, not built, I still have, I have the sprues for them, you know, bad, bad Joel, but that's fine. I've got, I've got several of them painted up and, you know, some more that I want to paint up, and I will be doing some kill team battle reports, I should say that in public, so now it's a promise, and, uh, and yeah, definitely, I've been, you know, building some training, working on stuff, but why do I like the game? And why do I think it's, uh, you know, one of the 10 that I would kind of recommend. So one of the things here is that these are all going to be different style of games. So if I talk about Kill Team, you're like, eh, I don't want Kill Team. There's some other games in here that are nothing like Kill Team or, or any kind of Warhammer game that are going to be on the list that you might want to get into. Uh, but the reason that I like Kill Team is because it's a very small skirmish level game. And there's going to be a couple on this list that are, that are like that, where the physical model, the single model is important. They have a personality, you can give them a name, uh, you can level them up, not so much in Kill Team. Uh, there's another game called Necromunda, which is a little bit more of a role-playing side of this kind of skirmish level combat, also set in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. Necromunda is not on this list. I really enjoy Necromunda, but the gameplay of Kill Team I like more, the actual mechanics and everything I like more. I do have this fantasy dream uh, of getting back together with my friends that ha I have played Necromunda with and doing kind of a, a longer role-playing kind of scenario. Because I think that's really what Necromunda is is meant for, is a very much more like a role-playing game than a miniature skirmish game. And that's really where it excels. And they've redone the rule books and everything for Necromunda to kind of approach that. It's almost like it, they have a DM guide as well as a player's guide now with the new rule books for Necromunda. But for Kill Team... 
as far as the the skirmish game goes, this is the easiest and I think best pick up and play, you know, skirmish level game. You can go and get a box for like depending on the kill team you're going for for like 30 to 50 bucks. And you get that box and it'll just be a box of like a 40k unit. So you can go get a box of Thousand Suns Marines or a Death Watch kill team box or a box of uh, Space Marines or a box of Gene Stealer cult guys, uh, Acolyte hybrids or Neophyte hybrids or Gene Stealers and get that box and you've got like a team basically. Sometimes you need two boxes depending on, you know, the team that you get. But you can go and get a box of I think every team for about 50 bucks, whether it's two $30 boxes, maybe 60 bucks and get that, put it together and paint them up. And you can spend a little bit more extra time than if you were spending like, you know, painting up a giant army because you're going to have like maybe, you know, five to 20 models tops and get in there. And the way the system is set up is they do have a campaign, but the idea is that you build up like a, a set of like 20 models, let's say over time, not right away. And then when you figure out what opponent you're playing, you're like, oh, I've got Death Watch guys, and you are now I'm, uh, I'm in a tournament or I'm just going to the shop or just hooking up with a friend, and it's like, okay, what are you going to play? We're like, well, I'm going to play Tau or I'm going to play Death Guard. And I'm like, okay, let me go to my little uh, toolkit of 20 models that I've got. I go, well, I know I'm playing this, so I'm going to go figure out and build up 100 points worth of a kill team that is going to be best against your kill team. And then you're doing the same to me. You're like, okay, I'm playing Death Watch. I know there's very few models, but they're very strong and they have a lot of little, uh, you know, tools and weapons that he can pick from. So I try to, you know, maybe I, I go for more of a horde mode to kind of overwhelm with bodies or whatever. And so you have your list of like 20 models and then you, you whittle it down to, okay, okay, I got to take this guy and this guy, I'll leave this guy out and now I've got a hundred points worth of those models and then you deploy and you play the scenario. That's really cool because it makes it so that you're not, you know, just build up a team and then that's all you've got. And there's no like runaway leader issue with this a lot. It's a big problem in, in like a games like Necromunda, depending on how you play it, or even some other skirmish games I might bring up later, where it's like, oh, I've got my giant group of guys and then I get more guys and then I, now my team is like, you know, 100 points bigger than your team and there's a runaway leader problem and it's like, why am I even playing you? And, you know, this is built in as like, we're always playing with 100 points. We know which each other's army is, and then we choose to muster the particular units that we want to bring in. And so that's just a nice format to have where you can really invest and spend time with it. And you still have a lot of the character and the commitment and, and everything, sort of the, the time that you spend with your team, but you're not role-playing. You're not, they're not like leveling up. You can do a campaign and stuff and you can level up all the stuff. And it's got a very simple and basic campaign. So you can still do that. But at the end of the day, if you level up this uh, specialist to like a level two, level three, uh, then they go up in value, up in points. And your, uh, so you have like you have like your specialist and your fire team, which are like your grunts, your fire team. So if you level those up, then they'll, they'll go up in points too. So they're better, but then you play with less of them. So if you're just playing a casual game, you can say, well, this guy's level three, but he's going to cost points and then whatever. I didn't play in a campaign, but I made it level three because I think it's important. I'm willing to spend the extra points and dump them in kind of that one basket of that one model, you know, and to see how that goes. And so this that format is excellent. It's fantastic. Uh, it just makes ease of play. You know, you can work back and forth, even if you're doing a campaign, you know, even though, you know, Billy's leveled up and he's won every freaking game. You know, when we play again, it's still 100 points versus 100 points. 
And there's some other expansions and things. You can have like commanders. You can have like really good like leader models. And there's going to be an elite expansion. So there's some room to kind of play around with that. So the other thing I really like about Kill Team is the mechanics of the game. So most miniature games, as you have, uh, you know, like either I move and fight with all my guys, and then you move and fight with all your guys, which takes forever, right? Because I got my whole turn that takes 20 minutes, theoretically. And then the other side is that I move a unit, activate it, you move a unit and activate it. Or in this case, I move a model and activate it, you do move and activate the model. And so back and forth. But this mixes that in a really clever way where I will, let's say I get the initiative for the turn because it changes, it's random each turn, whoever moves first. So I will take and then move all of my guys, all every single one of them. But then you will take and move all of yours. And then based on what folks did in movement, then we'll go and alternate turns fighting. So I'll fight with, you know, model X, you'll fight with model A, I'll pick another model, fight, fight, fight. Or I should say you do the shooting first, but you alternate shooting, then you alternate fighting. And so it mixes kind of the, I do everything, you do everything with the tactics of the shooting, which is cool because the nice thing about a game like Age of Sigmar or 40K, when I do everything, you have to be very careful about what you're doing and, and your planning and the movement in those games is what wins the game. Uh, obviously there's dice and luck, but in terms of the strategy side of it, it's the movement and the placement of your characters. Where it isn't a, you know, where you're just alternating activations, it's just, you're just reacting a lot of times, which is fine. I mean, that's that's not a bad thing. But this, so this kind of retains the overarching strategy of movement and moving all my guys and kind of committing to that and maybe being a little bit, uh, you know, timid and stuff where maybe I should be and holding some guys back and all that. And then you go into the activation. So you're still very much involved the whole turn back and forth. It's just a really excellent way to do it. So I definitely recommend uh, Warhammer 40,000 Kill Team for all of that stuff. You can get a rule book. You can get a little bit of train. You and a buddy or whatever can get a box, you know, $30, $50 box or something, go into it, and then you're up and running. And it's really quick and easy to play. Now kind of moving along into another skirmish game. Uh, this is Frostgrave. And this is a fantasy skirmish game. And this is one of those, again, miniature agnostic games. You can use miniatures from whatever you want. Uh, each player has a wizard and an apprentice model and then a host of like, you know, just scrubs that are little soldiers and dogs and whatever else they're going to throw into their uh, warband. And then you're going to, and you have a lot of spells that you can activate uh, as your wizard and your apprentice can activate. And you're going through this, you know, lost city of Frostgrave. You set up a table of terrain, you put some objective markers out there, or maybe play a more narrative type of scenario. And then you just kind of go head to head and fight and monsters could appear and come off the board. Uh, you know, once you start discovering tr uh, treasure, it'll start to trigger stuff. And the cool thing I like about this one is the complete opposite reason that I like Kill Team is this is very much more of a narrative RPG type of thing. Uh, because the one thing that makes it that way, almost forces it to be that way, is the fact that you use a D20. And so the combat and all the things that you can do is very, very swingy because a D20, obviously you can roll a one, you could roll a 20 and get a crit and all that stuff. But it makes it very fun and whimsical and, and, and a lot of hilarious stuff is gonna happen. I played a game of this at Gen Con. We played a four player game of it at Gen Con 2018. And uh, my wizard healed himself to death <laughs> because I could not roll to save my life. That was all right. I still had my apprentice. I still got a couple of victory points or treasures and stuff. 
and uh, and there was demons all over the board. You know, uh, this particular scenario actually starts with some demon monsters, which are NPCs, on the board, and they just kind of wreak havoc with all four players. And so there wasn't a whole ton of combat in that particular game uh, between the players. There still definitely was, but there was more combat with the NPCs that were on the board, uh, which is kind of nice when you're playing with strangers in a four-player game, because uh, then you know you don't have to like hurt anybody's feelings by people sort of uh, you know tag teaming somebody that you don't know. Uh, so the elements of the game that I really like is the focus on magic is very cool because you can really sort of get granular and 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 get down in the kind of the nitty gritty with the spells uh, that your particular wizard and apprentice can do. So you can build these kind of cool combos and things like that that you want to try to execute on the battlefield, as it were. The D20 system, you know, makes it super fun. It, it, you cannot like sit there and try to be a strategic uh, poindexter about the game you just you can't do it if you're going to do that then don't don't even try to play the game because e dice are just going to go all over the place so if you're going in it as to play it as a fun you know like almost like a D light kind of thing uh there's still some leveling up and stuff like that there's a lot of expansions and rule uh, books for it i should say actually i've written a scenario that appears in the wizard's conclave uh, expansion really fun scenario <laughs> um anyway but uh yeah, so there's a lot of different like ways to play it. Uh, there's an expansion called Into the Breeding Pits where it's, you're kind of meant to play indoor. So if you wanted to kind of play around with like uh, descent tiles or something like that or print out some indoor mats and play with that, you don't want to like invest in a lot of terrain. There's no reason you couldn't do that, which is like the basic book either, but it adds some extra cool rules and things like that. So there's a lot kind of going on that you can kind of dip in and play through and stuff. And it has the whole campaign aspect and everything. Uh, where you can kind of level up, people will die, and all that kind of stuff. And again, it's a miniature agnostic thing, so you can just easily go to uh, your local hobby store and pick up some of those new WizKids D&D or Pathfinder miniatures. You can get some Reaper Bones miniatures. You can pull miniatures out of Descent. Um, the sort of official miniatures for Frostgrave are by Northstar Games. They make a lot of uh, cool plastic and metal miniatures. I don't have any metal ones, obviously. But, uh, you know, they, they make some really nice quality uh, plastic miniatures. So if you want to build like a warband of soldiers or get some other NPCs and stuff, that's really cool. Um, so just the whole kind of whimsical aspect, the D20, the tons of spells and combos and things, the camp campaign aspect's really neat. Uh, the narrative just kind of emerges from the campaign. And I got to say, the the NPC monsters is probably the, the, the thing that really hooked me on this one because... It's not just kind of a tug of war, push and pull, uh, like a lot of skirmish games are, is you have that sort of element of danger and it just makes that world feel alive. And a lot of different scenarios and things will set up different like environmental kind of things that'll happen. But this is always present uh, in the game as well. So if you get some extra monster miniatures you can throw in there and give them the stats for one of the, the NPC monsters in the game, and the the board itself is going to be alive and vibrant. And like I said, so kind of throwing all, all that into the mix, the extra NPCs, the D20, all the spells kind of flying around. It just makes for very, very lively uh, gameplay. And I absolutely adore this game. So that's Frostgrave. And then sort of dovetailing from that is, I don't know if it's a follow-up to Frostgrave, but it's by the same designer. It's called Rangers of Shadowdeep. And I just reviewed this um, about a month ago. It uses the same mechanics, and I, I want to add it to this list because, like I said, I'm trying to cover like a broad spectrum with these miniature games. Um, 
And so you might say, Joel, why are you doubling up on Frostgrave and Rangers of Shadowdeep? Well, yeah, it uses the same system, but you don't have nearly as many spells. You may even play and not have any spells at all. And this is a solo and co-op, from the ground up, miniature game. So if if you don't want to just play competitively, you want to play, you know, you want to play cooperatively and play through a really fun kind of narrative story. You're going to play through a campaign, a narrative. You're going to play this scenario and then this scenario and this scenario and this scenario and this scenario. And then there's extra modules that have come out now. There's actually, uh, well, the base book comes with the kind of the main scenario to get you going up to like level five. And there's another sort of ex- module built into that. And then there's two more that have been released separately. One's kind of a one-shot scenario, uh, you know, mission. And then the other one is a couple of scenarios in a, in a bigger mission kind of thing. Uh, but I got to say this, I highly recommend this game uh, to everybody, to Rangers of Shadowdeep. I can see some folks, you know, not getting into Frostgrave and stuff because of the crazy D20 and all that stuff. But if you're playing like solo or co-op, it's not that big of a deal because, you know, you're playing against the game. So you're not like somebody isn't like beating you up. It's not another person that's beating you up and going, Oh, look, I, I ran away with it. I won two, uh, you know, the two of the last three scenarios and my, my group's way better than yours. Um, you know, cause you can, as you're playing cooperatively or even solo, you know, you're all kind of collectively sharing the experience and going through this. There's a really smart event system in range of shadow deep where they take a deck of 52, uh, regular playing cards and you take some of the cards out and you maybe play with like all of the hearts or the diamonds or whatever. And the events that get triggered are gonna change from scenario to scenario. So they're gonna be specific and thematic to whatever you're doing. So again, the game feels alive. It feels vibrant. It feels like you're in a real place, uh, you know? And again, the, the characters and, and the folks that you have in this game, as well as Frostgrave, but in Rangers of Shadowdeep, they really start to take on a personality of their own over the course of multiple scenarios and you level up and you have skill checks. So it's even more like D and D because you're going to assign different skill points. So you might have to like pick locks or uh, take swimming tests. If you go into like a swampy area and that kind of stuff or climb mountains and all that kind of stuff. And so again, this is, I think in this one, I really wanted to, to bring into this, even though it's a lot like Frostgrave, but it's something so brand new and fresh that it doesn't really exist. I mean, there's a Walking Dead uh, all-out war game from Mantic, which has cooperative that you can play. Uh, there are some cooperative uh, scenarios in Frostgrave itself. Uh, but Walking Dead is meant to be kind of a head-to-head game, and uh, Frostgrave is meant to kind of be head-to-head. That's sort of kind of ground-up built for that. And there's also the Fallout Wasteland Warfare game, which is also added co-op. But I haven't played that one, so I don't really know. Um, the... This Rangers of Shadowdeep is amazing. It's just great. It's built from the ground up to kind of lead you through this story that the designer is telling you. And it's fantastic. And it's replayable. Uh, I've played through the base campaign. I've played through the one shot that has werewolves and stuff in it. And I'm going to hopefully get a chance to play through kind of the first big module expansion uh, beyond the base game. Uh, But I would 100% go back and play through that first uh, set of missions and scenarios uh, from the base game with a brand new warband with with other folks because 
the way that you sort of interact with sort of points of interest on the table and the events and everything, that's going to keep it fresh. Like it's not going to play out the exact same way, uh, even, you know, a second or third time through. And I'm going to try, you know, I'll throw together a different uh, war band because it's not just like wizards or a certain type of character that you can bring in. You bring these rangers in, you bring in their companions, and there's a lot to kind of choose from. You can even, like, like I said, not use magic, have a very kind of magic heavy, you know, you can play around with it and have fun kind of re-exploring all of those scenarios. So that is uh, Rangers of Shadowdeep and Frostgrave, actually. And so that's uh, number two and number three. Uh, number four, and this one kind of stands on its own, is the uh, second edition of Age of Sigmar. Uh, this obviously a fantastic game. I, I love it. I've done a three battle reports now on the channel for it. I'll definitely do a few more this year, I think. Like I said, I'm going to do some kill team as well. Uh, but I absolutely adore the universe and everything about the game. Uh, I have played uh, several games of the new 8th edition of 40K. I also I do enjoy that game. I don't like it as much, though, as the 2nd edition of Age of Sigmar. Now, this obviously sort of killed off and replaced Warhammer Fantasy Battles, blah, blah, blah. Got off to a rocky start. I don't care about that. It's an awesome game now. Uh, let me tell you why. So it's sort of a mass battle game, although it doesn't quite get to that level where, you know, like in Warhammer Fantasy, where both sides have like 150 or 200 models on the side and pushing these giant blocks of units. Um, so I have thoughts on that, but we'll talk about more of that in the summary. But this is very much sort of a scaled down, almost massive battle game. You can move your units around kind of in a freeform way, although they've got to stay in a coherency, right? They all got to be within an inch of each other. And you know, so you can snake them around and do cool things like that. And there's just tons of like combos and special abilities. You can build up, you know, pick an army. You can build it like theoretically four or five different ways, uh, to, you know, to try to be effective and kind of highlight different aspects of the army. It's got a very sort of simple uh, rule set, very, very simple, uh, but it's so simplified that they, you can sort of plug and play uh, complexity uh, with it. So you can play it in a very uh, competitive match play way. You can play it in a very narrative way, set up different scenarios. You can plug and play like environmental effects, terrain effects. You know, you can take or leave allegiance abilities. So you can play this at kind of like any kind of scale. So you could play like a 500 point game of like, you know, three or four units maybe. And you can scale it up to like a 3000 point game with just tons of models on a giant table. And it will service all of those play styles to a degree. Uh, theoretically, I think you want to play a 1,000-point or a 2,000-point game. Uh, a 1,000-point game, you play on a 4x4 table. And, you know, so, you know, most folks could get that played. A 4x4 four, four is kind of a weird table for the house, you know. Uh, yeah, a lot of people don't have a table, like, 4 foot, you know, both ways, right? You, you have maybe a kitchen table that goes, you know, 6 feet across or something, but probably not 4 feet across the other way. So, you can kind of play around with that. But... The thing that really seals the deal for me on this game, like I said, I already talked about the, the plug and play ability, but is the double turn aspect of it. And what do I mean by that? Well, at the end of each round, you're going to roll for initiative and then the winner will get to go first. So in turn one, Billy goes first, I go second. We roll for initiative. If I win, I get to go first in the second round. So I just had two turns in a row. And then now, though, Billy, at the end of turn two, Billy just went second. We roll again. Billy could go two turns in a row. Or maybe it just goes back to me, and then we, you know, we keep alternating. Well, that's important because, like I was talking about with Kill Team, 
This is an I do everything, you do everything, typically called I go, you go. So I move, activate all my special abilities, cast spells, uh, shoot stuff, and then trigger combat. Now combat in this game uh, oscillates. So if we've got a couple of different units that are in combat with each other, since I have initiative, I'll pick a unit first, that unit will fight, but then the opponent gets to pick a unit first. So you don't just get to do all the melee combat, but I get to do all the shooting. Although there's not a, usually a ton of shooting, it kind of depends on the army. Um, but they, from first to second edition, they kind of nerfed shooting a little bit, which was a good thing. And so that kind of made the double turn hurt less because if I get two rounds of shooting, uh, you know, before you, that, that could be pretty devastating. So they kind of fix some stuff and they add some other things. But the interesting thing about the threat of being double turned is you have to always, always, always keep that in the back of your head when you're doing your stuff. Because, okay, first round, I'm gonna do all my stuff. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna rush up here, push everything into the middle, get these objectives that I wanna you know, take over and get a lock in on that, get, you know, get my shooting off and then Billy's gonna go. And he is just gonna wail on me if he gets a double turn. So I have to be very, very conscious and careful about pushing up, you know, vulnerable units or even key powerful units in a position to where they can get hammered on twice, theoretically. And maybe, you know, two spells cast on it, you know, they get to trigger their allegiance abilities, whatever they've got going on, on that side, or maybe they've got a lot of shooting or something. So it makes you be a little bit cautious about it. And that's also important because the way that you play Age of Sigmar, well, it's called the main way that I think you probably should play it, is with scenarios that are based off of objectives. And so that's a little bit different than when we talk about like Kill Team or Frostgrave or something when I say an objective. Because in those games, they have objectives, like in Kill Team especially, you gotta go and control these objectives and do that stuff. And in Frostgrave, you gotta, you gotta try to get treasure and then run off the board with it and stuff. But in this game, just the sheer kind of variety and ways that they kind of play with objective-based gameplay is something you really got to consider and think about with all your positioning. Because there's a lot of host of different ways that you can do it. Now, there are scenarios that are a little bit more narrative-driven, um, but even some of the narrative-driven ones are like this, where you're like trying to rush units from one side of the board to the other or some other nonsense. <laughs> but this one is very key because a lot of times you're like, well, okay, they can have the objective for now, maybe, you know, depending on the scenario. So maybe it's better to let them have that and then ambush them, you know, or maybe it's better to, you know, kind of outflank the units in different ways. And so the way that you can kind of flank and time and position stuff here, just because of the threat of that double turn and the way just the simple mechanics work, it's like, you know, any other Warhammer game, theoretically, when you break it down, where you have like the movement phase and then you run or charge and then you shoot and all that. So it really hasn't changed probably for like a decade, you know, the very basic core of it. But just the way that this kind of plays around with that in terms of like doubling down on things and like, you know, teleporting units around and just activating all the cool kind of widgets and stuff that are happening. Again, it makes the battlefield super lively and threatening and deadly and dangerous and all this kind of fun stuff. And then the whole other aspect of this, and it goes along with 40K as well, is the kind of the world and the lore and the stuff that they've created and like a lot of the different ways that you can approach the game or approach the army is very interesting. So 
this is like the, to me, the, I know a lot of people will say 40K is, but to me, this is like the big daddy of like, oh, you want to play a miniatures game and get way into it and act, act like a fool and get crazy and, you know, you know, spend too much money on it and all that stuff. Sigmar is the, the one I think is like the pinnacle of all that. So, I, you know, I had to include one that was this large behemoth, just audacious, outlandish, huge game, but also really fun and have lots of different ways to play. And to me, I like I prefer this to uh, 40k Eighth Edition. First of all, because I got Kill Team, and that's I love it. I already talked to, you know for a long time about that. Uh, but this does things. There isn't quite as much going on in terms of all of the sort of kitchen sink that you can throw at it. Like 40k Eighth Edition is just like holy crap! Like so much going on with all the command abilities and command traits and stratagems and all these different kind of widgets and ways to build your units out and trick out and mix and soup it up and uh what i mean by soup it up is like mix factions and all that which you can do all that stuff here too but it's just enough of the rules are pared down that the actual gameplay to me happens more frequently and more in a more fun way than 40k but you know you can give or take that i'm sure some people would disagree that they think 40k is better but anyway that is age of sigmar the second edition that was number four. And then the number five on the list is we're going to take a complete departure and we're going to move on to boards. And this is a board game. This is Shadows of Brimstone. And you say, well, that's not a miniatures game. That's a board game. Well, yeah, but it's also a miniatures game. And it's not abstract. It's the miniatures are alive. The miniatures have personality. Uh, Shadows of Brimstone, if you're not familiar with it, I did a review years ago. I've talked a lot about it on the channel. It is a world that is sort of like all these portals have been ripped open into various different uh, times now. So the original game was set in the Old West and there were these portals in these mines and people started finding these dark stone uh, deposits which are just magically imbued. If you're playing, we just talked about Age of Sigmar, like warp stone, you know, it's like this magic rock that you can do all this stuff with. And so all these cowboys and things started, you know, building warp or uh, uh, dark stone bullets and weapons and armor and stuff. And you go in and maybe you stumble into a portal and you end up on an alien spaceship or you end into this like lava dimension of this more like Cthulhu Lovecraftian world or this ice planet or whatever. Now they've since expanded it with a sort of a samurai themed thing. So there's a lot of uh, Asian, you know, influence and in, in just myths crap thrown in there with all of the old West crap and all the Cthulhu crap and the alien crap and everything. And there's new expansions coming out, which are, uh, I'm trying to remember, there's like a Viking thing. And then there's something else. I can't remember what the other one is off the top of my head. But anyway, so it's just a mix of stuff. It's like, a you know, take every kind of genre, mix it up, sci-fi, fantasy stuff, and Old West and Samurais and whatever. And you kind of wander through this game. And it's very, I would call it like uh, procedural. Uh, so out of all, like, it's, it's theoretically basically just a dungeon crawl. Like effectively you move through the mine or whatever kind of tile or board you're on and shoot stuff and fight stuff and throw grenades and throw Molotov cocktail, not grenades, like Molotov cocktails and stuff like that. And, you know, upgrade your character your character might get like crazy mutations and grow a tail and grow horns. And that might be good for you in combat because maybe your tail gets like a mind of its own and it kind of whips around and hurts stuff <laughs> for free but it might hurt you or your your friends and when you go back to town to sell your dark stone or sell items or buy new items the merchants might be like he has a tail so i'm gonna raise the price because i don't want to deal with him you know just weird things like that 
And so you go on journeys and stuff and you kind of just generally proceed. Sometimes you'll go through a scenario and it'd be kind of like laid out. Uh, but there's just a boatload of scenarios across the different expansions and you just kind of go and do what you want. You're like, okay, well, we just, we went through this thing. We got some stuff and Billy died and maybe he resurrected him or whatever. We go back and we go to town and do our thing. And then like, what do you want to do next? Oh, I don't know. Let's go do this. And we'll get a scenario out of this other book and go through that. And you just get to level eight. Basically it takes you to level eight and then you can keep playing theoretically or you just start again. And you go fight harder stuff and the game kind of like auto levels for you. Uh, so as you have like, you take the highest level and the number of characters or players that are playing. And so the monsters will kind of level up uh, sort of generically, maybe get elite abilities or you flip their monster card over to the brutal side and they'll be that much harder to fight. Uh, so this is just, again, another world to kind of explore and you can kind of pick and choose what you like. So if you like, you know, I don't really like the cowboy thing, but a samurai stuff sounds cool or the new Viking stuff sounds cool. Um, like my example is uh, the game, and we haven't played in several months actually, but uh, in our recent game, I have, I have a nun. She's a nun and that's me. And uh, she doesn't bother healing anybody. She doesn't like to heal people. And so, but she decided early on that she wanted to be a shotgun wielding nun. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. And uh, she doesn't do very much damage, but uh, that's my fault for my dice rolling. But that's her. And then you might have like a gunslinger character that is, uh, you know, they take on a life of their own. And you may have like a, a piano, you know, in the old west, they had like piano people. And uh, maybe that person, they grew horns and a tail and uh, they have an eyeball floating on their arm or something. So it's just this, you know, otherworldly thing that you can kind of jump in and explore and have a lot of fun with. I will say as a caveat to this, if you get one of the original base boxes, there's City of Ancients and like Swamps of Sh Death is the other one. Uh, the game is not so great with just those base boxes. You, I would definitely get one of the base boxes and then at least get one of the other expansions. Now I've not dove into some of the new, I have the new Samurai stuff, I haven't dove into it yet. Uh, I don't know if those base boxes are a little bit better, but the reason I'm telling you this is because the enemy variety is a lot more interesting uh, once you start mixing in the other stuff. Because as you kind of go along, you're like, ah, we're fighting 40 of these things again, or this, you know, this guy's kind of scary, but you know, we fought him three, three times already. You want some variety there. So you get a good amount of stuff in all the different boxes, but in terms of like multi-game replayability over the course of the scenario, you want, the game wants you to buy a bunch of stuff. So there's that. So it, it, I think to get the full enjoyment out of it, you want to, buy into it at least a little bit you don't got to get everything but uh once you add that in it makes it really cool because you're like oh we encountered this bandit of undead cowboys this time and then the next time we walked in and then there was like these demons coming out everywhere so you don't really know what you're going to find and that's what makes it exciting and just in terms of like the variety of enemies their tactics are going to be a little bit different as well or it seems like each of the boxes, they have like a similar tactic, everybody in that box. So if you're just playing with one box, like it's like, well, this is all the same. It's a different monster, but I'm fighting the same way. But if you mix a couple of boxes and like, oh, these are more ranged and these are a little smarter and these are just going to try to swarm us. And so you get a good mixture of stuff uh, once you do it. But again, this is very much a miniature game. And it's, it's more of a role-playing game. Like the other thing, which is sort of a double-edged sword there as there's lots of cards for things, for items and weapons and skills and spells and all this kind of stuff as you start to level up. It's got a bunch of stuff. Well, you can also get like character sheets and print them out. And so it's like your D&D &D character sheet. And you can just write all this stuff down on the character sheet. 
and forget the cards. Now, when you like explore an area or like, you know, do a loot action, you dig through the cards and oh, I look at the card. Oh, I found this. And so I write it down on my character sheet. That's just a way to kind of randomly generate stuff. So the table gets really full with a bunch of crap on the table. Um, but you're playing a role-playing game without a, a game master is what you're really doing here. You're playing like a weird cowboy, samurai, otherworldly D&D game. Uh, where you go through and you get loot and stuff, and it's a hack and slash. It's not tons of, you know, theater character stuff. It's just, you know, fighting and things. But it's silly and it's fun. Uh, so I highly recommend Shadows of Brimstone. Again, you got to buy in a little bit. The model quality is not super great on those first two boxes I talked about, City of Ancients and uh, Swamps of Death. But everything else after that and looking at the models and the new samurai stuff, it's great. It's fine. You put it together, it's going to go to rather great. Uh, the assembly and stuff and sort of just the model detail quality on those first two base boxes really kind of blows. But, you know, it, uh, so maybe get in with the samurai stuff or something like that. But, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily, if this sounds really awesome to you, then I would say whatever, just get those, you know, first two base boxes too because there's a lot of cool stuff in there. But if you're like, eh, I don't really know about this game and you're like, well, okay, I won't get it. Then that's fine, you know, because the first two base boxes I think are good. I think you need them. But, you know, they're kind of a pain. You need to get other stuff after them. So there's a little bit of a weird barrier there. But if you get into it, and I think you'd love it. If it sounds awesome, then I think you, I think it will actually be awesome for you. Anyway, so that's Shadows of Brimstone. That was number five. Number six is another board game. And this is Imperial Assault. This is a Star Wars game from Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, now, this is very much a traditional dungeon crawler. It's based on the Descent engine, which was based on the old Doom engine that they had. And it's, just a, it's, a, it's a dungeon crawl in Star Wars. So you get a couple of companions, you move through, you do dungeon crawl, all that stuff. That's not the part I'm talking about. The dungeon crawl in this game is okay. It's all right. I played through the main basic campaign all the way through. And I was a little disappointed by the end of that, to be honest with you. Now, the thing that I like about this game is the skirmish. The skirmish stuff in this is great. I love it. It's very, uh, it's a different flavor of skirmish. I wanted to have this one in here too because it's very different than Frostgrave or Kill Team or any of those other kind of skirmishy games, Necromunda, Dead Zone, all that. This is a very different feel. First of all, you get to use Star Wars stuff, which is friggin' awesome. So you're going to do a skirmish, and I can play Darth Vader and some Stormtroopers or whatever, and you can play Luke or Lando or a bunch of, like, bounty hunters or whatever in there. That's awesome, first of all. Uh, second of all, there are a boatload of scenarios and stuff for this, and there's a boatload of ways to build up your skirmish team. And it has this kind of very modern uh, Fantasy Flight-esque, but also almost Euro-esque I don't, know, I don't want to say Euro, but it's got the very modern game design mechanics behind it. Or a lot of these other games, you're on a bunch of D6s, you're on a D20, you know, you're doing whatever, and that's fine. Even with Shadows Brimstone, you're on tons of D6s for combat for that. This has very uh, specialized dice that make combat super quick, and they've got, you know, it's fantasy flight dice. You've got all this stuff. You've got stuff like this in X-Wing and all their games. You've got these cool uh, card decks for these different abilities, so you can kind of go fish through cards and use these different abilities. Now, card decks, and they, they do this in a lot of their games too with like X-Wing and Rune Wars and stuff where you can pay points and add special abilities into your decks and a different equipment and stuff. Uh, the cool thing about this one, the takeaway for me is, first of all, Star Wars is cool. And then, well, maybe not for you, but if it is for me. And 
they has this cool thing where you do this different scenarios and like talk, there's a ton of scenarios. Once you start getting like the different character packs and expansions, you just, there's like 50 or 70 different scenarios now, uh, if you get the stuff. And the interesting thing about it is you're fighting over different objectives or trying to kill the other players, characters. But then there's also like these different like uh, computer control terminals and things. And you go there and that's what makes you kind of dig through and fish through your cards. So it's a very interesting kind of uh, dynamic between moving around and fighting and then kind of doing this sort of sci-fi little abstract thing on the side to sort of, you know, trigger up and build up your points. And you have that real threat because uh, a lot of those cards are sort of the game in a way as, yeah, you got the different abilities and stuff on the, you know, the characters, but having that deck of cards, uh, you know, it kind of hark that kind of tickles my board gamer itch, right? Because if, if you listen to the channel or watch the videos and stuff you know i like a lot of different stuff i also like you know for Kalis or caverna or tigers euphrates whatever those kind of games and you know card games like san juan or race for the galaxy so this has that cool thing where you kind of build your deck a little bit like magic or something and then you gotta like well if i go over here and maybe i can dig and find that card and i'm not really engaged but i don't want to leave uh you know leia over there on her own or whatever so you kind of go back and forth so that's a real interesting kind of uh, push and pull between those those considerations there. And a lot of the better Euros and stuff, what it has is like, you know, choice A, choice B, choice C, what should I do? I don't really know. Well, this is why well, I need to do this now. What, what would mitigate my luck, you know, in this upcoming combat that's about to happen on the next round? So that push and pull of all of that stuff is really, really cool. And these are nice. You don't have to assemble any of uh, these models. I think other than Frostgrave or Ranger's Shadowdeep, which you know, you can use whatever you want. Everything I've talked about now has been something you got to assemble. Even Shadows of Brimstone, you got to put those together. This one is you just get the single, you know, model out. You can see who it is. You're like, oh, Darth Vader. I can see who belongs to. I don't, I know who that is. You know, I don't necessarily have to paint it. Although if you paint them up, then they're going to look awesome. And just the quick skirmish combat here is very much just like all gameplay. And then you're like, oh, I'm playing Star Wars 2. So the, a lot of these other games I've just talked about have a lot more narrative and stuff built in, and there's no like leveling up in terms of the skirmish. Now, if you play the campaign and stuff, so I guess this kind of doubles as like, oh, it's got a dungeon crawl too, and there's an app, and you can play through that solo, which I did. I don't know. I don't really like it. Like, I'd rather play Mansions of Madness <laughs> if I was going to play an app thing. Like, it's okay. It does this thing where it like hits you over the head of like, oh, you're taking too long, so take eight damage. I'm like, that's stupid. <laughs> Which kind of like is the reason I don't really like the main campaign even with another player because everything's just like a race. It's not, it's just like get over here quick. And it's like, oh, why is every scenario get over here quick? <laughs> like that's boring. Anyway, so I don't really like the campaign dungeon crawl stuff in this game. Uh, but the skirmer stuff is fantastic. It's just super fun. It's just easy to pick up and play. You build your little deck of cards, you put your characters out there, and you just play and go, move over here. Cool, I got some cards. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to play. Uh, so I definitely recommend Imperial Assault. Although I have a sneaking suspicion this is going to go out of print. I think they're going to stop making it because they have this new Star Wars Legion, uh, you know, tabletop miniature game that they put a lot of stuff into. Uh, a little irritated they didn't just like to use the models from Imperial Assault. Although I can see why they didn't because the scale would be weird, and you know, Imperial Assault's more like. Yeah, individual models. It's skirmish based, whereas Legion is more squad or unit based. Uh, but while it's still around, 
Uh, there's just a ton of stuff you can get for it for Imperial Assault. And I, you know, I would say get the base game and then one of the like uh, bigger expansions like the Jabba or the Hoth expansion. And you're going to be good to go for like quite a while. And if you want, you can play through the, the campaign. The campaign doesn't suck. Like, it kind of sucks. <laughs> but you're also like playing through Star Wars. So it's like, it's, uh, it's kind of neat too. Because, you know, you're playing through, leveling your guys up. You're interacting with these these villains or whatever. And the player controlling the villains is having fun controlling Darth Vader or whatever. So, yeah, that's okay. But the reason this is here is because the skirmish is so fun. All right, so that's Imperial Assault. So number seven is another board game. And don't worry, the rest of these are not going to be board games, but some of them are. Uh, so I kind of clumped these together. The next one in number seven is Claustrophobia, specifically the new one, 1643. And I just reviewed that one as well. And this one's in here for the Euro player, right? The one that isn't like, I don't want to do skirmish games or what are you talking about? Warhammer? That sounds terrible. I got to roll, roll 90 D6s. That sounds like the dumbest thing ever. Blah, 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 blah. You don't want to do any of that. Now, Claustrophobia 1643 is a two-player only board game. Comes with like 20 scenarios. One player plays the demon player. One player plays the heroes, but they're actually ex-convicts. It's set in the year 1643. So one player plays the demon, one player plays the good guys, sort of. And then you just pick a scenario and play it. There's no campaign. There's nothing like that. There's a bunch of like dice worker placement type mechanics that the demon player has to do. Uh, the the good guy player has to do kind of a similar thing where you're kind of activating different things. You roll some dice and like, we'll give this one the two. So depending on where you sort of allocate the dice is going to change up, you know, what you can do on your turn, how much kind of threat you generate or how fast your character moves or whatever. And then you have, do have dice combat where you're rolling D6s against each other, but it's very quick. It's just like roll the dice. Oh, hey, yeah, okay, it's dead. Or you take a damage. Now, as the good guys take damage, they start to like block things out on their player cards. So it becomes harder to assign dice to certain players and have them be effective. Now to counteract that, uh, well, each player actually has a little deck of cards that you can kind of do to sort of mitigate the dice rolls. So the good guy player can have like dual purpose cards. So I can like, well, I can use this cool ability or I can change this dice into another one and then you know, allow them to do that. So, or when you take and place dice on guys, that'll allow you to draw more cards and stuff. So it's got all these kind of Euro elements built into a very easy to get into skirmish miniature combat game. So if you're very much like a mechanics first type of person, this can be a way to say, you know, sometimes I feel like smashing demons in the face or whatever, you know, whatever kind of trashy sort of pulpy theme that just because you like to play 18xx games doesn't necessarily mean that you don't like horror movies or you don't like science fiction movies or whatever, right? But you know, when you want to sit down to play a game, you don't want to, you know, none of the other stuff appeals to you. This is the one that I think might. Although I think there's some other ones on here I'll get to that might as well. But this one I think most out of everything uh, would be the game that I think would appeal to the mechanics first uh, players. Now this one, only gets released on Kickstarter, although they kind of have been doing these cycles of Kickstarters to get them out. They don't fuss around with stretch goals or whatever. I think it's like 90 bucks. And then you just get it. And there's a bunch of stuff in there. There's no reason to have stretch goals. And uh, so it's easy to get into. The miniatures are fine. You don't have to paint them. So again, if you're more of a Euro 18XX or whatever kind of gamer, you're not maybe into painting miniatures. You don't need to. 
they look fine. They got different colors for the good guys and bad guys. And, uh, you know, you just jump in and go for it. And to me, this is the uh, quintessential kind of Euro skirmish miniature games. There's been some other ones, but this to me is the best. There's just tons of replayability in here. Uh, and the scenarios are going to kind of balance themselves in favor of one player or the other. So they're very unique. Like it's not just like move around and fight stuff. There's like different goals in mind and things like that uh, going on. So that is Claustrophobia 1643. Um, and then the number, let's see, eight game here is a Warhammer Quest Blackstone Fortress. And you're like, Joel, you've already done two dungeon crawls, maybe three if you include Claustrophobia. You've already talked about Shadows of Brimstone. You've already talked about Imperial Assault. You've already talked about Claustrophobia. Now you have a fourth one. That's not fair to the other, well, okay. <laughs> Warhammer Quest Blackstone Fortress is my favorite dungeon crawl, I think. Maybe Shadows of Brimstone is more because it's just so open-ended and nutty. Now, Warhammer's Quest Blackstone Fortress is really cool. Now, I've liked all of the Warhammer Quest games of the new, this is the third one. The other two were set in the fantasy universe. This one's set in the 40K sci-fi universe. This one is neat because it uses some of the same mechanics as Claustrophobia where you have kind of a dice worker placement thing. Now in this, there's just uh, players against the game. So the game has like an AI system. And that's how the first of the new Warhammer quests, the Silver Tower was, that was against an AI. The second one was called Shadows Over Hammerhold. That has a DM. And this one again is against an AI. Now this has like a legacy system-ish in it. So you don't like just pick one character and play that. So if you play through with a character and that character dies, they're dead. But you go pick another character out, it's fine. There's not a whole lot of leveling up, although you get different items and things that will help you level up. And as you sort of explore, there's like a timer. There's a there's a, a deck of cards that you go through. It's, a leg it's called the Legacy Deck. And if you have not completed the game, by the end of that legacy deck, you have lost the game. Or if you have uh, five of the characters die, because there's eight characters in the, uh, the set, then you won't be able to field four characters because every scenario is balanced to have four player characters. Now you can play it solo, you just have to use four characters. So once you have the fifth one die, you don't have enough, so you've lost the game. And there's gonna be points where you're sort of adventuring through this uh, so these missions that you're going to say, we need to bail out because if we keep going, yes, we're not going to be able to find these discoveries and these clues, which will help us unlock the scenarios, which will actually get us to victory. But Billy's going to lose another character and they're going to die because they've taken these wounds and we can't heal them until we go back up. So we've got to bail out of this. And so what the game is, is you go through, uh, usually you shuffle together these exploration cards and you have four kind of scenario battles that you'll go through and then four kind of like narrative little mini game cards. And some of the mini game cards will take like 30 seconds you know, or some will take a few minutes to kind of go through. They're like little puzzles and weird things or mini combats or just little dice rolls that you have to do or little like choose your own adventure things. And then you kind of bounce back and forth between those and then, you know, you kind of go through it and you can take damage on the puzzle ones as well. But the really neat thing about this is it's, Again, it's a very procedural one, but this one is a little bit more self-contained than Shadows of Brimstone. Uh, this has a very finite win-loss condition, beginning, middle, and end. It's not just like play until you get about level eight and then maybe reset because you're super powerful, which is what Shadows of Brimstone does. This is play through. Don't, don't really care about your character too much because 
let's say you know you and a buddy played it you would just choose two characters whatever let's play oh he died okay whatever he's dead (laughs) you can pick another character next time and uh so it feels like more of a traditional co-op in that way and a lot like pandemic legacy frankly where you're playing through the monsters are getting harder you start shuffling harder and harder monsters or bad guys into the deck uh, you know, you've got, uh, you try to find these different clues, which will unlock strongholds, which are very specific, long scenarios to play through. And you have to play through four of those and beat those. And then you go to the vault scenario, which is the last one, which is super hard. And then, you know, you got to get through it. So uh, the system is very smart. It's got the dice kind of worker placement thing. It's got a very interesting activation AI system, which when I first saw it, I was like, this seems very like 1980s. But then I played it and I was like, oh, this actually works really well. Uh, so the behavior of the AI and stuff actually is very interesting. You roll a d20 and look it up on a chart and you go, oh, well, whatever. It actually works. <laughs> like it works really well. Like I don't, you know, like, oh, it would be better if they had a deck of cards or whatever. Well, actually, I don't think so. So I know it feels old, but to me, they picked this, they plucked this mechanic right out. And the way those tables are set up actually work really well. And it's and it, super snappy to like do it. Oh, roll. He did that. Roll. He did that. Roll. He did that. It's super quick. Uh, so this one, I think as well, if, you know, like where I said, claustrophobia was, uh, more for like the Euro gamer, the strategy gamer, this kind of thing. I think to me, Warhammer Quest Blackstone Fortress for like that, somebody that isn't necessarily like a miniature gamer, you're not interested in Kill Team or Sigmar or Frostgrave, setting up a bunch of terrain, all that kind of stuff, but you're still like an Ameritrash you, you don't mind that stuff. You like you like that stuff. You like the pulpy stuff and the wacky stuff. You like Arkham Horror or whatever, that kind of stuff. You like co-ops, you know, that kind of game. To me, this is the best kind of like miniatures co-op vibe of a game. Of the miniatures themselves, if you're not a miniature person, they go together super easy. They're color-coded. They're not just all gray. They're different colors. And they're what's called push to fit. So you still got to clip them out. And I did glue mine, but theoretically you don't have to glue them and i i did fool with them on this and so you don't really have to glue them uh you just got to clip them out and clip the little pegs and then they just kind of push together and they stay pretty snug and fit and they kind of slot into their bases and then you're good to go so you don't have to like they're not hard to put together at all and you don't have to paint them although if you did that would be good because they look great they're great models to paint but I definitely uh, recommend this game. And this is one you can play multiple sessions. Like this is kind of like a Gloomhaven. If you're like, if you like a Gloomhaven, which Gloomhaven I wouldn't really consider a miniatures game because it doesn't really have a lot of miniatures. Um, but this is in that vibe. So if you like Gloomhaven, be like, oh, 40K is kind of weird and quirky. I would, wouldn't mind playing a game in that universe. I liked playing my campaign in Gloomhaven. Uh, there's other games like this now, Midara, you know, and some other dungeon crawl games where they have a big epic campaign. And so if Shadows of Brimstone is too wild and crazy, then back on this side, you've got that little bit more structured uh, mechanics and gameplay and stuff with uh, very easy to pick up and put back down. So if you played a scenario of this, it could take you a couple of hours to play through, but it's very easy to save because they have this like envelope system where you just kind of dump everything in. You can even dump the cards for the scenario in there. And then you're done. You can stop after like, you know, the specific mission that you're on and keep playing from that same larger scenario later on. So it really works that way. Very smart game. So that's Warhammer Quest Blackstone Fortress. Now number nine, and this is going way long, but that's okay. Number nine is Rumble Slam. This is a very little known game, but I wanted to have kind of a sports miniature game on the list. And this is definitely 
my favorite sporting miniature game. So if you think of like Blood Bowl or Blitz Bowl or, oh gosh, there's a bunch of these sports games now. But Rumble Slam, I think, is the best one, has the best mechanics. And basically, it's like Fantasy World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, you get these different uh, teams, and it's somewhat like a giant tag team. So each team will have a squad of like four or five models, and then they're all in the, the ring at the same time. And so you're moving around, taking turns activating them, trying to pick up and throw the other characters outside the ring. And, uh, and you can get like special... Uh, Characters, so you can get like superstar characters that do really cool stuff. So you get like a, a team of humans, but then you throw in like the giant orc who looks just like Hulk Hogan, or another one that looks like a little dwarf that looks like Randy Machman Savage, or not even that. You can get like a little thing that looks like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle or whatever. This is lots of crazy stuff in here. But the mechanics are really cool. Uh, you know, you have custom dice, and so you've got different custom abilities. There's cards for each of the characters in in the game, and they all have like little abilities and stuff. And the way that you can like bounce off the ring and even like jump and get up on the turnbuckle and jump off the turnbuckle. And it's kind of like an action point system where you just, you know, you do a couple actions and then they do a couple actions. And you've got positionings, you got like different types of models, like the big burly guys that are really hard to pick up. You might screen them and have like the little fellows run around um, and all that stuff. And so they've got like a variety of teams. They've got like all female teams and all this stuff or mixture teams. And there's a lot of weird varieties of teams. So you can really have fun with that. Uh, they're resin miniatures, but they're really high quality resin miniatures, and they're pretty cheap too. Like you can get a team for like twenty or thirty bucks, and the base game itself is really cool. And it comes with like a felt mat that looks like a little wrestling ring and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of character and, and vibe kind of in these different uh, models. Very easy to put together. A lot of them are like you know single mold. If you have to assemble anything, it's like an arm or something weird. It's just the way the mold worked. So it's not like a ton of assembly time at all, really. Uh, at least what I've, I've got four different teams for it. And, uh, you know, the assembly has just been like almost non-existent. Um, and it's just super fun and interesting and tactical and wild and crazy. And to me, it's my favorite uh, sporting game. Like I've played Blitz Bowl. I've played Blood Bowl. I've played Guild Ball. I've played, uh, well, there was one from Mantic. It's like futuristic basketball. That was really cool. Oh, Dread Ball. I played that and played some other crappy ones. Uh, but I've liked all of those to different degrees. But definitely for me, Rumble Slam is just the fav my favorite. It's just the best. It's just wild and crazy. Games don't take more than 45 minutes. And there's just a lot of like replayability and fun, wacky. And, you know, I could see if like, well, I don't, I'm not really a wrestling fan. I'm like, I'm not either. You know, I watched it when I was eight, eight nine and stuff. I don't hate wrestling either. Uh, if it's on, like... You know, I might watch it for a few minutes just to kind of laugh at it. But like, if you are a wrestling fan, though, I know there's a lot of people that still, even as adults, are huge wrestling fans, and that's totally cool. Like, I get it. Um, I think you would love this game. I think you would absolutely love. It. Like to me, this is a no-brainer. That you, if you wanted to play like a really great wrestling board game slash miniature game, Rumble Slam is going to be the one for you. Like, I highly recommend it. And I think you can only buy it from TT Combat's website, and they're in the UK. Um, but uh, I don't know what shipping is and stuff like that. But I think it's I think it's reasonable. They were talking about bringing it over here and distributing it to a certain degree. But I knew, do know they show up at Gen Con. So if you're at Gen Con and uh, this year, uh, then I would certainly swing by their booth and and give it a look and, and probably get a demo of it there. Uh, but I highly recommend Rumble Slam. It's definitely the most fun uh, that I've had playing a uh, you know kind of a sporting miniature game. 
All right, so that's number nine, Rumble Slam. And number 10, the last one is Gaslands. This is from Osprey Games. And I did a review of this not too long ago, a few months ago. And this is a basically a futuristic, post-apocalyptic kind of car combat game. And so you think of like Mad Max, the miniature game with cars. And the idea is that you go and get Hot Wheels cars, which you can go get for like, not pennies, but like a buck for each car. If you go get like a you know set of like whatever, just go, if you just want to play this game, just go get the cars. Don't paint them. Don't do anything to them. Just use the cars. And then it'll tell you how to like kit out the cars and stuff. Because you usually don't use more than maybe, I don't know, it kind of depends how you build it. But like two or three cars at most. And let's say you're playing a two-player game of it. So you can easily kind of remember like, well, this one has a machine gun on it. This one has a guy with a rock launcher sitting in the back of this pickup truck or whatever. And then don't have to worry about modeling them or kitting them out at all. But if you want to do that, it's awesome. Like you could just get a bunch of bits or go on Amazon and get some like World War II gun bits and stuff and glue them on there. Spray paint them, the cars, and just beat them up. <laughs> like make them look like they've been trashed. So you don't really need like painting skill necessarily. Um, but there's just a lot of cool things you can do with it. But the gameplay is this is my absolute favorite Navy miniature game. And what do I mean by Navy? Like I loathe rank and flank miniature games. You'll notice there's none of that on here. There's no like pushing rank and file trays around. There's no X-Wing. There's none of that. Now I did I did enjoy X-Wing when I played it. X-Wing is the other one that I would probably swap in here if Gaslands didn't exist because I really did enjoy playing that game. You know, I have played other games with like larger ships and stuff and like I liked them but just after a while I'm like I hate steering boats like for me I want terrain I want stuff to matter I want it to be on the table uh, you know I want there to I want the table to matter when I feel like I'm flying the ships around like it doesn't really feel like where it's at is in, you know where it is is at in relationship to the other ships sure because are they in my firing arc and whatever nonsense but I want there to be mountains and trees and buildings and rubble and crap on the table and make it matter. In Gaslands, it matters. Because you usually build like a little racetrack or whatever, or little gun turrets that are shooting at you or whatever. And so all of that miniature stuff, like when I play a miniatures game, I want all of that to matter. Now, I know I've talked about like claustrophobia and stuff where that doesn't really matter. It's abstract. It's zero. But... 99 out of 100 when I'm playing a miniatures game when I think miniatures I want the space the physical space the space of the miniature whether it's a car or a person to matter that's what's important that's the kind of stuff I want to activate in my brain if I want to do a spreadsheet game I love spreadsheet games I'll play a good euro but if I'm going to play a miniatures game I want there to be that tactical visceral feel and Gaslands has that in spades and you've got the driving mechanics for Gaslands are fantastic because you can try to pull off these cool maneuvers with these specialized dice. The way that the template movement works is a lot like X-Wing where you have you grab templates and you know you put them out and it's very interesting because you can't like really measure so it feels again like you're driving and you're going too fast you know you're like oh I grabbed the wrong template because it's not quite the curve that I was really looking forward to but if you're driving and being shot at by crazy mutants, you know, squads of whatever in the Mad Max universe or wherever this is set in, then, you know, you're going to steer wrong. Uh, and so those, the way that the different scenarios work, there's like, you know, basically the best one is just the race one. 
basically you race through these four checkpoints you just kind of set them up on your table and then you can't really shoot or do any fighting until you get to that first checkpoint and then it just turns into complete absolute mayhem <laughs> and then usually it's like okay well i'm the last car so i win but you know you're trying to race around the track and sort of the push and pull of that of trying to race and, and get around to the finish line versus fighting and killing you know the other cars and stuff but there's a bunch of other scenarios where you just you know go in and like you know drive around and fight each other or maybe put these little zombie miniatures on the table and the idea is that you're you're running all these zombies for points uh because the game is sort of like the theme of the game isn't necessarily mad max it's more like the running man which is an old 80s movie so it's like a tv show so you're fighting for people's entertainment i guess there's a movie called death race which is kind of like this uh, but yeah, so this is a neat game because you can kind of scale it where you can just go get a couple of Hot Wheels and copy the the, um, the templates in the back of the book and play. Or you can get really into it. You can get into the, you know, kitting out the models and get like nice fancy acrylic templates or whatever, order the special dice. You know, you can really scale it and you can play this with kids where you could just not necessarily add so much of the combat in. It's just kind of play the race and stuff and just use the special dice and race and stuff. So you can really ease into this one and make this a complete total lifestyle game where, you know, I've probably got like 20 or so Hot Wheels, but I've seen online in the Facebook group, there's people with like hundreds of Hot Wheels and they're all painted up in different ways. They built like five different variations of each different team and, you know, just had a huge blast with it. And there's even like extra supplements for like having big trucks and everything. There's gonna be a new edition coming out, I think later this year. But for me, this is the one kind of like X-Wing Navy game, uh, but it's cars and the terrain matters and it's just super fun. I love Mad Max and it's just so easy to get into. Like you can just get into this any time of the week and, and, uh, and you know, just get some Hot Wheels in the $12, $15 book and you're good. And you can just try a miniatures game, you know, and that's why I think it's great. So that is the last one that is Gaslands and just wanted to kind of wrap up. Uh, with some final thoughts because I didn't call this uh, podcast the top 10 miniatures games, which is it isn't. I call it the golden age of miniatures games. And I think very much so uh, in, in addition to like the golden age of board games, which we've been in for like 10 years or 20 years or whatever at this point. Is it? Well, 20 years, you know, about about the year 2000 or whatever, 1995, if you want to say that far back. We've just been like constantly iterating on awesome games. Um, you know, you can go back to Catan and then in the early 2000s, Agricola and Kalis and other games, I don't know, Power Grid, whatever, that kind of stuff up until modern games from this came out yesterday. You know, so the board games has obviously exploded since Settlers of Catan came out, basically. So I think we're still like in the golden age of games or maybe we've passed it already. Maybe it ended like 10 years ago. Who knows? Um, but I also think now we're at the golden age of miniature gaming as well. I think it's, I don't know that it's, I think board games have had some influence on it. Um, I don't think they can take complete credit for it. I think a lot of it is the technology that's available. Because if you go look at miniatures themselves from the last 10 or 20 years, they're just high, more highly detailed. The relative cost is about, is probably cheaper or the same because yeah, the, the dollar amount has gone up, but like for the quality that you get and the number of miniatures that you get, and I think relative to inflation, probably, I think you're still kind of in the same ballpark. Now, Games Workshop stuff is obviously a little bit on the higher end of that, but there's other companies making fantastic miniature qualities, you know, Come On, uh, Fantasy Flight, and all these other, you know, companies I've talked about. And even like the paint quality, if we're talking about just the pure hobby side of it, 
there's a lot more miniature specific paint like games workshop has their whole shade line and just the techniques have been evolving the uh the internet and youtube and blogs and things have made it so that you know painting is a lot easier to get into you're not just kind of guessing like there's a lot of tried and true techniques that folks have developed over the last you know 20 30 years uh, that you don't have to kind of like, you know, well, what kind of paint do I get? How, you know, what's the thickness, the viscosity of the paint? What are the best colors? Da, 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 da. You know, all that stuff has kind of been sort of, sort of like sorted out <laughs> over the last couple of decades. And, you know, yeah, sometimes you still got to assemble them, but not always. Like I talked about Come On and um, Fancy Flight. They make good quality miniatures, especially uh, Come On, uh, that you don't have to assemble at all. And now even you can get like WizKids miniatures that are pre-primed. You don't have to prime them. You don't have to go, you know, put a mask on and go spray them outside. You can just start, grab some, some, uh, you know, good acrylic paint and start slopping it on there and you're good to go. You don't have to spend a lot of time trying to win a crystal brush award. You can just get some color on there and make it creative and invest in it and invest kind of a little bit of yourself and a little bit of narrative into the miniature. So I think a lot of it has to do with the technology. And I think there's been a little bit of push from the board game world in terms of like, you know, there's Kickstarter, you can get these big blockbuster games with you know from Simon or come on and that's kind of pushed back onto the games workshop and some of the other more miniature companies are like oh our doll our dollars are going over to this other side and they're getting good quality miniatures for you know and also a good game so let's reinvest a little bit in ourselves and explore our worlds a little bit more kind of enhance our gameplay and all that kind of stuff so the competition for the gamer dollar I think has helped for sure and I think just all of that, like, you know, even these days you can get a nice quality game mat for 60 to 80 bucks and it's high quality print and you put that down. There's lots of tutorials for making terrain and stuff and terrain quality as long as the, as well as the miniature quality has gone up. You can get a lot of pre-painted stuff these days. Like I talked about TinkerTurf at the beginning. TinkerTurf's definitely not the only one, uh, but you can get all that stuff. And then it's not, the barrier to entry is not what it once was where only like the the hardcore pure hobbyists could, in, could get into it. You could be a little bit of a casual hobbyist uh, with these games. And you've got like the whole Osprey idea really of, you know, with Frostgrave and these other books that they've come out with. And even like Warlords of Irwan, where I talked about at the beginning as the review, is you don't, you can use, you can reuse your miniatures. You can, so I take the fantasy miniatures I've got for Age of Sigmar. I can play them Frostgrave with that, which I do. I can take and use them in Rangers of Shadow Deep. I can take and use them in these other games, the Dragon Rampant game I talked about. So you can reuse this stuff. So just because I have a miniature that does something, I can't. I don't have to just play one game with it. I can have different experiences with that because there's just the wealth of all of this stuff. There's this whole sort of bubble of this world that has built up over the last few decades. I think we're seeing the fruits of that now, uh, which is great. Um, so that's that's what I got to say about that. So I think we are in a golden age of miniature gaming too. We probably have been for a couple of years, I think. Uh, you know, Games Workshop turned a corner. They've got some competition. Mantic has some good games. Uh, there's a lot of different games like uh, Claustrophobia 1643. There's Wildlands. That's a good miniature game. Uh, Fantasy Flight and Come On have been sort of, you know, pushing on their side as well. You've got companies like Rumble Slam, you know. I think Rumble Slam was initially a Kickstarter. I'm not sure, but it definitely could have been. You know, you've seen Kickstarter help other companies get stuff out. Uh, the technology's there for lots of smaller companies to get involved and, you know, little niche games. I got to give a shout out right now to uh, Gorilla Miniature Gaming, his YouTube channel. 
he'll cover so many different kinds of different uh, skirmish miniature games. He covers 40K and Sigmar and stuff and all that nonsense. But he also does these just like one-off things. There's these books that aren't necessarily Osprey books. There's like uh, uh, This is a Test, which is a post-apocalyptic uh, miniature game, right? So you can get the book, you get a handful of miniatures, you're in and you're playing a completely different experience than all these other games. So the wealth of stuff is there. And that's why we're in a golden age of miniatures. Okay. Well, that is it. I went extra long, but that's okay. Uh, have a good uh, month. We've got some more reviews coming out this month. And uh, take care. Thanks.